race car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over everything racing. Joining me in the studio this week is Motorsports Tribune NASCAR correspondent Seth Eggert. And then I have uh, journalist Joey Barnes, who's a freelance contributor to both Racer Magazine and IndyCar. Joey, Seth, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. Yeah, doing well, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Oh yeah, man. It's been a while since you've been on the show. We missed you. I know you've been busy. You've been uh, you've been at the IndyCar races. So let's uh, knock out the headlines real quick, and then we'll talk about that race from Iowa. Uh, speaking of which, that race from Iowa had, that had a a little bit of a late start. Uh, you know, the um, some drivers were concerned the the time of day they had allotted to start the race may result in uh, the sun coming down and, and probably with some visibility. But the uh, the weather really took care of that, and the race didn't start till much, much later, four and a half hours later, as a matter of fact. And I don't believe it, it, it wound up until, oh, it was after 2 a.m. here on the East Coast. But at the end of the day, at the end of the night, it was uh, Joseph Newgarden taking the win. Uh, meanwhile, on Sunday in New Hampshire, uh, Kevin Harvick finally won a race. We've been talking about it all year long. When is Harvick going to get that monkey off his back and win a race this year? And so there you go. Uh, but, Joey, let's talk about uh, Iowa. Uh, certainly, uh, Joseph Newgarden was the star of the day, but uh, Scott Dixon was the man on a mission right there. So, And uh, you did write a nice article about Dixon's uh, fine drive to second place. But uh, let's just uh, have you break it down a little bit. Yeah, so as you pointed out, the the weather kind of plagued everything at the start. And to be honest with you, being on site while the weather sucked uh, to have a delay like that, it was actually a little bit of a godsend because Friday we saw track temps that were north of 135 degrees uh, in final practice. So honestly, it was it was really nice to have something kind of calm down the heat, calm down the humidity, drop the track temps significantly, uh, which even with the track temps being significantly cooler, uh, like you're looking at like almost a 50 degree difference, roughly, it's still a high amount of tire degradation that we saw on uh, Saturday night. So it, that produced a lot of really good racing, a lot of frantic restarts. Track position was absolutely key. Uh, as you pointed out, too, New Garden ended up winning this race. Um, it's kind of fitting in comparison because last year we saw this guy dominate this race and not be able to close the deal. And then he ended up kind of kicking himself, really pissed off and qualifying. Uh, just had a small miscue on his part. And he was really, really short with people at the end of qualifying and justifiably so. And while, while you would have thought that the nighttime could have just thrown everything in the dumpster for, for all the front runners actually ended up being opportunistic for new garden, who once he got the lead led 245 laps of this thing. Uh, but behind him is where everything was, just madness. I mean, you talk about Dixon, 
Dixon was getting lapped on lap 121 by Newgarden and almost fell two laps down and really was an afterthought in this race, running around 13th place for pretty much the whole night and just kind of extends his his pit stop window, five extra laps on the second to last pit stop. And then on the very last pit stop, which was around, well, for him, for everybody else, it was around 253. Then caution came out just after that and set up uh, a nice little caveat for Dixon where he was able to, to pit under the caution, get his lead lap back uh, in the process and actually lead two laps prior to that caution and set him up sixth place, fresh tires, making a run at everybody, climbed as hard as second and, um, you know, made a very positive night after what was essentially a, you know, where did he come from kind of thing. Hinchcliffe, uh, last year's winner, ends up finishing third on the podium, and Pagano, who was on pole, has been on a hot streak, ends up fourth, and Spencer Piggott continues the momentum for ECR at Iowa and ends up finishing fifth, and it's actually their seventh consecutive top-five finish at Iowa, which is just, when you think about Andretti's dominance in the early years, you think about what Penske's done lately. ECR, collectively, on Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever you want to call it, night owl um ecr was strong on saturday night i mean we saw ed carpenter make some really strong runs up through the field Piggott came from from eight from 19th to, to get all the way up to third and if not for maybe just a small little miscue with with just the timing of the cautions and and getting cut off on pit entry on one of the occasions uh he probably would have finished maybe even on podium so um Talk about championship. Uh, Alexander Rossi, runner-up in the championship right now, finished sixth. Lost, went, was four points behind coming in. Falls back to 29, leaving Iowa. Zach Veach, uh, phenomenal run for him considering the fact that his t- – I don't know if you're aware of this, Frank, but like in the lead-up to the grid, whenever they're getting ready to just put everybody out there, we're sitting there waiting while they're cleaning and drying the track. His crew actually found a puddle of fuel underneath that car in the form grid formation and had to put it back behind the wall uh, for repairs before the race even started. And they got him back out right at 10 minutes left on the call. And he goes out. Here's an odd question about that, right? Yeah. Uh, I did. I did. I did see the whole thing with, with with the fuel leak and um, you know, how they, they had to pull the car off the grid. That was all covered by television. But so that fuel that was missing, are they because the race hadn't started yet? Are they able to top off the tank fully, or are they just, because of the allotted fuel for the race, are they just out that amount of fuel? It's a legit question that I that I didn't get an answer to. To my knowledge, because the race hadn't started yet, and you were able to hit the 10-minute call, you're able to go ahead and refuel. Now, okay. if it wasn't within that window, you're screwed. I, I You know, there's a certain limit that you can... You can do things, but um, right. But don't yeah, they so, don't they have the the fuel there is, you know, allotted in the the tank in the pit lane. That's that's all they have. Or, or less, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I, I'm sure but, it did. I'm sure it didn't. You know, lose a ton of fuel there. So, but uh, well, you know. I mean, but but also in the grand scheme of things, you've got to think about the fact that we've also had a caution on lap. Uh, well, what was it like twenty something, twenty three? I don't. I, I forget. We, our first caution came. Very early in the race, um, and you know he pitted in too. So, um, matter of fact, he was one of the handful of drivers that made made an early pit stop. So, um, but behind him, 
you had Graham Rahal who, you know, jokingly to, to put a, you know, he's run on seven cylinders and we all know these guys don't even have seven, but uh, you know, he was running a cylinder down there at the very end of the race, uh, kind of puddle, puddle, putting around, excuse me, can't even stutter to get my words out, uh, puttering around in, in eighth place, first car lap down. And, um, you know, credit to him because they looked pretty strong most of the night. Um, and just their night kind of fell apart when you see Takuma, when you see him, they were running pretty solidly in the top six and their night kind of fell apart. But for him to at least get something out of Iowa is a huge positive. And, you know, behind him, Sebastian Bourdais, 200 start, uh, finishes ninth. And Tony Kanon gets a top 10 for eight to four racing, which was obviously really good. Um, I kind of want to go back on, on Graham. I I don't think it could be overstated enough. The impact that Alan McDonald has made over there, uh, engineer Alan McDonald has made to that team. I mean, when you look at this program that they've done from the beginning of the year, all the way to this point, you know, last year they had to learn how to become a two car team again. Right. And you had him, you, you had Graham, you had Takuma, they, they were finally branching out to be more than just a single-car team, and they had to learn how to be two, and two got the win, and, and we're seeing Graham have some strong runs, but maybe not quite to the level that he or, or his fan base or that team think that they can they can be. They obviously want more podiums and more wins. But um, I, I think when you see what they've done this year, they've added on to that, and they've increased, they've upped their game, and I, I mean – they're a legit threat every single weekend now. And you could argue that if not for Alexander Rossi, they could be fighting for top Honda honors at this stage. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they've been able to do. I mean, obviously you got Dixon over there, but as a team, as an organization, both Graham and Takuma are delivering on a regular basis. They're qualifying really well. They're finishing up in the, up in the order. I'm very curious to see, what happens this coming week in mid Ohio? Because I think, as you know, Frank, mid Ohio is certainly a playground that Graham has had success at in the past. Oh yeah, I think he won there in 2015, and and mid Ohio is also the type track that really suits Takuma's style. If you just kind of recall how he did it, ran at Barber this year, and how he ran at Portland last year. I mean, that's right in his wheelhouse as well. They're going to both cars are going to be strong. Yeah, and uh, so I just credit to them, credit to Alan McDonald, uh, the whole engineering staff, honestly, because um, I know Takuma's engineers made a pretty big impact as well. Uh, I'd tell everybody his name, but it left me right as I was about to say it. Um, behind him, behind Kanaan, I should say, Marcus Erickson, rookie, finishing 11th. He had a pretty nice, solid weekend, um, but obviously the, the talk on everybody – Leaving the weekend was Santino Ferrucci making some really crazy good moves uh, on the high line. Whenever we saw those jumbled up restarts, even at the start of the race, when when maybe somebody just didn't quite get going and everybody got stacked up, Ferrucci wasn't afraid to just stick it high side and, and pass, you know, four, five, six cars getting up through the field. Probably deserved a better finish than 12th, considering how good they ran early on. I mean, I think back to the first stint of the race or the first opening 100 laps of the race, and him and Alexander Rossi were side-by-side side for fourth and fifth place. Um, it had to be for eight laps, ten laps, uh, just working really, really well uh, on the high groove. And it's really one of the few cars that could make that high groove stick. I, everybody was fighting for the bottom so much. And he was one of the cars that could actually make it work on the high side. So it was really, really refreshing to see. Um, and then I'm sure that while I'm not going to go over every driver, I do want to give an attaboy to Connor Daly, uh, second oval start of the year with, with Carlin. 
really good finish for Carlin. That team is still trying to find its legs middle of the year with a few things, uh, changing up their driver lineups, going through some, some engineering carousels, if you will, uh, during this year too. So for them to kind of begin to broaden their baseline, broaden their, their database with, with setups and, and driver development and things like that. It was really good to see Connor once again, get a really good run for them. So, uh, you know, had an 11th at Texas has a 13th year given the, the, place that that team is at these are really good finishes and i think that it certainly warrants an opportunity hopefully in the future if the right situation can get blended together that maybe we could see connor do a few more things with them in the future yeah i don't, I don't believe that there is there a spot for connor again this year uh because i know that the the only oval left is pocono and that is slated for charlie kimball you got a gateway um, so, Ah, you're right. There is Gateway. We may see Connor Gateway. You know, then of course they've also they've used Sage Karam the last couple of weeks as well. And uh, coming up at Mid Ohio, we'll see R.C. Enerson in the car, um, which is, which is I like R.C. I think the kid, you know, when his when he ran with Coin, uh, was it year before last? Um, I, th- I thought he was a kid had a lot of potential. So I'm looking forward to see Enerson in the car. He's bringing on board the uh, Lucas Oil Racing School as a sponsor. So you know, and again, this. It, you know, it kind of follows the the old Dale Coin model. You know, with a, a little rotating cast of uh, pay drivers. Um, and I don't. I know Connor's not a pay driver. He's. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, but the driver evaluation there be able to do and getting um, you know input from uh, several different drivers. You know, there's no it's no secret that team is is struggling. They're probably you know the right right there near the bottom. Not quite as bad as Foyt, but they've uh, they've had some struggles. Uh, so getting, you know, more sets of eyes on the car, more uh, more folks in there, more data is, can only serve to help them out. Yeah, well, and, you know, I think that when you see where this team was with, with certain things, I mean, you've got you got Max, you got Charlie, you had you had uh, Pato for for a good part of the season, too. And they're they're not afraid to commit. Uh, and, and kind of gamble on themselves, so to speak. And we saw that with Indy Lights. They came in, they, they won, they found success, they got a title with Ed Jones in their second year. And, um, you know, I think that when you really get a chance to, to see how this team works, I think it's just going to be a matter of time. I, Sage certainly believes in them. I mean, I remember talking to him on, on Pit Road and uh, kind of – the way people remember Sage is kind of somebody that had a little bit of swagger, a little bit of cockiness to him, um, and maybe was a little over aggressive. I can yeah. tell you that aggressive driving, yeah, that's uh... yeah, that's not the same Sage that I saw this past weekend. And with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wholeheartedly, it's kind of changed my, my opinion on him. Because uh, I, I was kind of wary of, you know, not just, I don't want to say I was wary of his age, but there's certain attitude that you have to have uh, coming into this thing. And, and I didn't necessarily know if all those intangibles were there. And I think that now that he's had a chance to kind of season himself with sports car racing, let's be honest, he has been humbled by the IndyCar situation. I, I think that based on what I've seen, I hope he gets another opportunity because I do think that, you know, Iowa would have been a golden opportunity hindsight looking at his track record at Iowa, but certain things didn't fall his way, you know, a slowing to Kumasato in the high while he, while they were both in the high groove and he kind of ended up into him. He spun, but didn't end up hitting anything was able to continue on just little things here and there uh, that seemed to just kind of have a knock on the night for him uh, before, you know, he essentially had to retire. I think if he gets another opportunity, I think he'll do well. Uh, we saw him practice. We saw him qualifying. He was right there, kind of right with Connor. I think if if everything goes through and he has the same kind of night, clean night that Connor has, I think he finishes around where Connor does. Um, that said, I think that Carlin, as a whole, they're going to be fine next year. But I think all this stuff is building towards next year, you know, because. You don't know what you're going to have with, with Charlie. You don't know how much sponsorship backing you're going to have. You're still trying to figure out what the situation is with, with Max. Uh, obviously, he has a desire to run ovals, but would like a little bit more safety for his comfort, um, you know, and, and justifiably so. I mean, it, it takes a different kind of person to race cars, and it takes an entirely different kind of person to race on an oval. And I, I think that when you know the dangers involved, while nothing can be 100% safe, the safer the better, right? Uh, oh, certainly, but, yeah. Do you feel like that the um, if they go ahead and go go full full forward with the uh, with the current version of the aero screen, aero screen that we're looking at, do you think that'll you see Max back on the oval because the guy's got some chops on oval racing. He's he's had a couple good performances, you know. I remember he led to both laps at Indy a few years ago, and he's had a couple couple other runs at other tracks too. I mean, I would like to think so. I mean, obviously, I haven't talked to him about it, but I think that given the way that he kind of said what he needed to say whenever he talked about stepping aside from oval racing and mentioned the safety aspects of it, that would make me think that if we increased the safety innovations, added them on, set for next year, I certainly think that there's a, a higher chance to have him in a car. He does have a desire to return to Indy for sure and run Indy. And, I mean, let's not – I. I this is going to be kind of crazy for people to maybe forget, but the year that Alonzo was there, there was a guy by the name of Max Chilton that was leading that race before Takuma Sato came up and, and took care of things late in the running. So that that possibility of Max Chilton being an Indy 500 winner wasn't really that far-fetched when you think about the fact that he went in there and led 50-something laps in just his second attempt in the race. So um, he's yeah. got an oval prowess um let me let me me ask you this real quick so on the oval weekends like at iowa has max been there um on site with the team or or is he just staying entirely away um i don't recall seeing him this past weekend i'm just wondering i just yeah i just was wondering with you know if there's any wavering in the commitment level i mean there doesn't seem to be but i was just wondering if he was you know, there to support the team. And he may well have been there. He just may not have run into him. So I just, yeah, I mean, just I didn't know. I was, I was running around like crazy, honestly. So, um, 
we've all got we've all got agendas to get to and things things like that. So he may have very well been there, and I just I totally missed him. But um, now, what I wanted to say though is the the biggest thing that's been been hindering Carlin is the fact that you know they had a little bit of a rotation on the driver's side, and it, it's really tough when you have some some engineers that are still kind of new to the position. Uh, maybe they're they're more adept to what they did in Indy Lights. They come to IndyCar and and there's a whole lot of different things to learn. The damper program is so critical when you have a universal aero kit. And not to mention the fact that, like, you've got drivers. And from what I've heard, Charlie runs a very unique setup. Uh, it works, obviously, but it works for Charlie. It doesn't always work for somebody else. And so, like, a situation like Indy, not to replay that nightmare for them, but a situation like Indy, to my understanding, was is that Charlie had something different that worked for Charlie, and it wasn't necessarily something that could work for everybody else. Right, and Charlie and, Charlie put the car quite comfortably in the field. Yeah. So, yeah, so again, it works for Charlie, yeah. Yeah, but, it, you know, to that credit, it, it doesn't work for everybody else. And when you've got new engineers and you're kind of stretched on resources – things can become a little bit strained. And in that situation, as we saw, it was strained. And I think that that's part of the reason that you're seeing this reaction of, of making sure you've got Sage, that you've got Connor, that you've got guys who can bring a little bit different uh, different feel to the car, different, different feel to the team to help broaden that playbook. Because uh, at the end of the day, the biggest thing that they don't have that everybody else does have is depth of, of just a notebook of all the setups, of all the resources that you can imagine and that's something that when you've got new engineers in the fold, they need that. And I think that that's part of the reason why you're seeing guys like Connor and guy like guys like Sage come in. I think that there's probably going to be one or two more drivers that we see throughout the year that that come in and, and play with Carlin cars for a little while, as we see with RC coming up. Uh, I'll be really curious to see what he does because this is also going to be his first race weekend with a universal aero kit. Uh, you talk about a couple of years ago with Dale Coyne, that was with the manufacturer aero kit era, totally different. I'd be very curious because this is more of a balance to what he drove with an Indy Lights car. Uh, I'd be very curious to see how he does with this aero kit and this configuration, where he struggles, or maybe he just lights it up on, and, and does something special. Uh, very curious to see how he gets on with the program this weekend. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, um, then the other another bit of news I want to touch on is um, Arrow SPM Motorsport is going to test uh, Philippe Nasser, a former Formula One driver and a sports car champion, um, who's interested in the IndyCar series. So they're going to test him, uh, which has, of course, a lot of people wondering: Is there a third car in the works for SPM, or is Marcus Erickson maybe going back to Alfa Romeo, or or or? Is this just simply a test? Because, Joe, you and I know that these guys are allotted extra test days or test time if they're running guys um, for evaluation purposes that are not current um, IndyCar Series drivers. You know, we saw this. Uh, we saw Rosenquist test with uh, Ganassi, uh, you know, two, three years ago before he, he ever came with the team. And we see a lot of Indy Lights guys get their first uh opportunity in test we saw ryan norman recently in mid ohio testing with the andretti team um so do you think this is just uh just a test to see how it likes indycar do you think maybe they're genuinely genuinely interested in interested in uh, adding into the him into the organization in some fashion because he's a he's a fairly proven commodity behind the wheel you know it should be a, a no-brainer if he wants to do it i mean i think that talent speaks volumes right and i think that if he's going to be in the car then there's certainly interest 
that said, uh, you know, Marcus Erickson is kind of in an unknown situation a little bit. I, while I hopefully he stays in IndyCar for a long time, seems to be enjoying himself quite a bit. You know, if if Kimi Raikkonen retires or if if Antonio Giovinazzi gets the call to to go somewhere else, it is Erickson that is the reserve driver that's supposed to go and fill in that role. I mean, let's not forget he still tests cars for Alfa Romeo um, over there in, in Europe. So, you know, that that's always a possibility. So you always want to have a backup plan. And the other end of that that I'll say is, is to, to your point, there is certain amount of test days that you, back in the day you could have half, you know, full-time IndyCar driver. The other half of the day is, is rookie. And now it's a little bit more strained where you have to have pretty much no full-time drivers in the seat. Uh, so, you know, look at Ed Carpenter Racing. They're going to run Renus VK up in Portland uh, here in the next week or so. And that's not going to be a shared opportunity with anybody. That's going to be Renus on his own in an Ed Carpenter car. And I think you're looking at a similar situation with this Felipe Nasser uh, test. You're going to have people on site and, and on hand. I will be very curious to see how he gets on because he is certainly a talent. Uh, number one, Brazilian talents seem to do really well in IndyCar and certainly the fan base caters to that. And if there's an opportunity to help grow the sport, you know, and add to it in that standpoint, because you think about the superstardom that the Elio was and, uh, and IndyCar and you think about Tony Kanaan, you think about guys like that, obviously you got Mateus Lays who's trying to, to find his footing as a driver in IndyCar coming out of Brazil and still just young at 20 years old. Having a guy that's proven, also former Formula One guy, to come over here would be uh, would be phenomenal for for not, not just you know Brazilian race car drivers and not just for for what it means to all of racing, but for IndyCar specifically. I think it would be great for the fan base and for the sport. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm certainly excited to see what he does, and I think that uh, you know. Marcus Erickson future pending, it'll kind of dictate what happens there. But that all said, and, and you would you would assume that Hinch's ride is quite safe, uh, very safe. Yeah, yes, until, yes, until they, his contract they, is out. Yeah. yeah, well, he's got uh, one more year in the contract. Contract goes through 2020. But uh, you know, we do know that uh, the team really uh, gets on well with him. Uh, he represents them well. He's uh, well liked by Honda. Um, but but at, at the end of the day, you know. The, the results have been a little few and far between with Hinch. It was it was nice to see him on the Iowa podium, um, but uh, it, it would be it, sometimes I feel like the 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 arrows team the arrow team this year has not really lived up to their full potential. Although we've seen some decent results lately with uh, both drivers now making the podium in the last couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll just have to see how all I, that progresses. I'll tell you this: a couple of things. Uh, Number one point is is on the Felipe thing to kind of bury this uh, for a second. I have heard that there's interest in a third car for a long time now for Schmidt to have three cars, three full-time cars. That said, if it happens, it's only going to happen if the funding's there, right? Uh, I, I think that's the way any indie car owner thinks. Like Dale Coyne would probably go to three cars full time if the funding was there, and the same for for just about anybody else in the grid. If the funding's there, they'll be able to figure out a way to make it happen uh, because you can't you can't negate the amount of help that it that it gives back to the team and resources, right? To help advance the damper program, to help advance that that 
pull of data that we talked about earlier with Carlin, the thing, the one thing that they lack that teams like Andretti and Penske and everybody else has, that's the one thing that, that a Felipe Nasser could help develop and help give them. Because as we know, the one thing that Formula One drivers are great at is being able to break down a car and debrief and, and just provide this ridiculously good feedback, high-quality feedback. I mean, you look at guys like Marcus Erickson, guys like Alexander Rossi, there's a reason why they have success in IndyCar. It's not just because they're all ultra-talented, but it's also because they know how to break things down with their engineers and debrief to get the right setup, to hit on the right things, to, to move forward in the field. And I think that that's something that plays to the caveat of having a Felipe Nasser, uh, a part of IndyCar and potentially a three-car team, We'll see, but uh, certainly if the funding's there, funding is there, I think it would happen. On the James Hinchcliffe thing, Schmidt-Peterson in general just hasn't had good luck this year. I mean, you, when you think that some of their races, they've qualified, you know, not the best, but they've always been able to charge through the field. And in the middle of charging through the field, whether it be through pitch strategy, whether it just be through through dumb luck or or whatever it is, They've run into just misopportunistic situations that have hindered them from better finishes, from higher quality finishes. But the pace has certainly been there. And if not for one or two results that went another way, we could very easily be looking at James Hinchcliffe being top six, top eight in the championship right now. Um, you know, same same with Marcus for that matter. One or two results, one you know here or there, that went into his favor. You know, he's he's sitting comfortably in the top 10 in the championship. So, uh, you know, it's just it's IndyCar racing, right? I mean, any miscue you have, you're getting penalized for in this sport. Certainly, certainly. So let's uh, let's turn our attention to Mid-Ohio then, uh, which is going to be this weekend. So we're on a we're on a short week travel from Iowa to uh, Mid-Ohio. Um, Mid-Ohio, one of my favorite uh, road courses on the calendar. I mean, I, I tend to favor those you know, courses like, you know, Watkins Glen, Road America, Mid-Ohio, uh, the natural terrain courses, nice elevation changes, um, some very fast corners, very fast straightaways. Um, and of course, you've got to look at a guy like Dixon, who's who's won here uh, a ridiculous amount of times. And he's and there was a couple of years ago, he ended up last and ended up winning the thing. Um, we've also seen Dixon get burned on pitch strategy there. So if I had to make a pick, for Mid Ohio, I'm going to go ahead and pick Dixon because he's he's pretty hot right now. He's uh, uh, the the team is making all the right calls with strategy, uh, you know, and he's really he's he's right in the the zone there where he's uh, gaining gaining points um, a little at a time to uh, kind of get himself up there into that, that title battle. He's a little little farther back than he'd like to be, uh, but with six races left on the calendar. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Dixon brings this thing home, especially if uh, Newgarden or Rossi run into run into some trouble and have a bad result or two. So, Joey, who do you like for Mid Ohio? Oh man, um, <laughs> I, I, well, to be honest with you, Schmidt Peterson ran there last year uh, pretty well with Wickens. Dixon not so hot. He finished fifth, which for him at Mid Ohio is subpar, right? Uh, Will Power was on podium. Rossi dominated that thing, and he seems to dominate. When anytime he starts on pole in a race, he's dominant, like Road America and Long Beach. <sighs> kind of going back to it, I kind of like Graham, if I'm being honest. I, I like him to kind of break this drought that he's in. I, I like what that team's doing. I like how much they're improving, and I really think that we could see an RLL racing car up on top step of the podium. 
Yeah, that would be great. The hometown, the hometown boys, team team based in Ohio. So um, now, Seth, you've been quiet. Are you yes, still have. there? Have, have yes. you fallen asleep on me? No, I have not. <laughs> Seth, um, who do you like from Mid Ohio? Ross. Rossi. I, I, yeah, I think he's going to have another dominant weekend. Like uh, Joey alluded to, whenever he uh, qualifies on the pole, he seems to have a dominant weekend. I have a funny feeling he's going to have another one this weekend. Yeah, the, uh, he's been hot on the road courses. He really has been. Um, you know, the whole Andretti team has been really good on the road courses, but it's just, uh, for, for me, just one one quick more um, IndyCar topic. The, the, the gap between Rossi and his three teammates is a bit mind-boggling, don't you think, Joey, that uh, we've not seen, you know, I, I, at the beginning of the year, I was kind of predicting a really good year for Ryan hunter Ray based on how strong he was at the end of the year, but, uh, you know, the rest of those guys are kind of mired farther back in the points, you know, I think Veach is 17th, Marco's 16th, uh, hunter Ray is, what, 10th, 12th? So, yeah, I mean, it's any, just, anything going on there, or is it just, just dumb luck? Well, for Hunter Ray and Veach, uh, actually, for all for all of them, it's just been bad luck. I mean, you think back to uh, to, to Veach. I mean, this has very much been a sophomore slump for him, right? I mean, just you can't find necessarily the pace. There's all these little miscues, and like we talk about, I mean, IndyCar racing is so difficult and so finite that one miscue is going to put you in 15th, right? I we look at, at final practice. Uh, maybe it was qualifying. I can't remember. It's all blurred together. But uh, literally, the whole field was exactly a second apart, one to twenty second at Iowa. So even if it's just one small miscue and takes you off a tent, that could put you seventeenth. Uh, for Hunter Ray, he's had some positive runs that have just gotten negated by by strategy. Um, you know, had some bad luck here and there. Uh, Marco, I don't know another guy right now probably driving with. Uh, with some really difficult confidence right now, I'm sure. Uh, you know, you think it, at Iowa and you look at what he was driving, you know, it, when the car's just not there and it's not feeling right, you're not going to run right. And the car wasn't fast. He was even told to park it at one point. And, uh, you know, you think back to to Indy and the car was unstable and it was unsettled. And we all know that Indy's a place that he should he should be lighting it up because, I mean, if there's one place that is a Marco Andretti track, it's Indianapolis. You know, he goes there and he's finished on podium there four or five times. Uh, almost won the thing, obviously, in his rookie years, everybody knows. And, um, you know, and he's, he's good on ovals. He's built up a really good resume on, on street courses, too. It's just for whatever reason, he runs into issues. Um, you know, think back to Detroit, for instance. I mean, he's running in the wet and on slick tires and, and making a fun show of it. And doing everything but hitting the fence, and probably got screwed on strategy. Uh, and I don't mean on his strategy, but I mean you know there was like a weird race control situation where something that they normally do they didn't do in that in that sense. And otherwise he comes out probably getting on the podium. So just really weird things kind of catching out the other three guys at Andretti. But uh, I think the other thing to to think on it though is. There's a there's a handful of drivers that have a unique connection, you know. We see that with with Joseph Newgarden and his and and his engineer. We see that with Pagano, obviously, and his guy. But Rossi and Jeremy Millis, uh, you know, when you have that connection and everything's in unison, 
you just you're already on another level right you're already ahead of everybody and i think that's part of the reason why we're seeing the championship play out the way we are is because you're seeing continuity is at the top and when you see guys like rossi and new garden uh you know dixon they're all at the top in large part because of the continuity that exists on that race team Certainly, and I think that's why you know, a lot of these, you know, a lot of the the rumors with uh, with Rossi and his contract talks for this year, they keep pointing back to him staying with Andretti because he's in he's in a situation that's very comfortable for him, and it's 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 a situation that that's bringing him success. It's this thing with you know Scott Dixon is, you know, Dixon's been courted by Penske over the years, or, or you know, trying to be coaxed away from Ganassi over the years, but yet he he stays with Ganassi because the situation is comfortable for him. He, he works well with the, the folks there, and it brings him success. So uh, we'll just have to. You know, see how this plays out with Rossi's contract talks, but the more and more I hear, it's just it's just leaning heavily towards uh, uh, status quo, staying staying with Andretti, staying with Honda, and uh, Napa signing back on. So, but but again, that's a developing story. Now, Seth. Yes. Just okay. Thank you for your patience, young man. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> But uh, it's been a while since we got to talk to Joey. And Joey, thank you so much. I for, completely uh, understand. Yeah. So um, NASCAR community was uh, rocked with a, a tragedy this week. Um, Nick Harrison, crew chief for Justin Haley, passed away unexpectedly earlier this week. Uh, only 37 years old. So, um, and he's he's been around. He's worked with a lot of a lot of guys. Um, Richard, our uh, you know uh, one of our regular panels. Richard's worked with. Uh, work with Nick in the past and it's just just kind of a shocking thing so um, we just want to uh, you know send our thoughts and prayers to uh, Nick Harrison's family friends and the folks that he's worked with uh, you know and and the, the folks that'll be missing him um, but the NASCAR was in New Hampshire and we've talked on and off uh, uh, you know like every other week when we're picking drivers somebody's picked Harvick they said well uh, I'm going to pick Harvick because this he's He's not going to go this deep in the season and be winless. Uh, so I believe <laughs> last year by this time, Harvick had five wins. Five or six. Five or like six, that. and then he had three consecutive early in the season. But uh, So Harvick finally gets that, that monkey on the back, secures his spot in the chase, although points-wise I believe he was fine. But uh, kind of take us through the race a little bit. It, it did get that uh, kind of exciting at the end, and then, then once again Kyle Busch is, is – crying and whining to the press about the package. <laughs> well, it it was a Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin race overall. The two of them dominated the race. Uh, Kyle Busch from the offset, Denny Hamlin after starting in a backup car from the rear, worked his way all the way up to the lead. The two of them were basically on the same strategy until about midway through the second stage or so. Uh, number of drivers stayed out or only took two tires. Kyle Busch took two tires, had some contact with Kyle Larson, cut down the tire at the end of the stage. He had Pitt take four tires, ended up mired in the back, and he was never able to make it all the way back through the field. He constantly has complained that there's no passing. Meanwhile, his teammate literally started last and climbed all the way up to the lead and ended up finishing second. So I don't know about that, but it is him complaining as per usual at this point. That being said, it was a good race, especially between Hamlin, Eric Almirola, Kevin Harvick, and some others. Eric Jones even uh, spent some time up front. 
it was an interesting race, uh, to say the least. You had some drivers who usually aren't up front or we haven't been up front in quite a while, or at least not this consistently. Matthew Bandetto scored a top five finish. His second this year, it's his second career top five. And Ryan Newman finished seventh. He started from the back in a backup car. Hendrick Motorsports was out to lunch. Uh, they just had all sorts of issues. Uh, Alex Bowen was in Jimmy Johnson's backup car after he, uh, let's see, the, had a drive shaft explode in qualifying and then wrecked the backup car in the final practice. William Byron got busted for speeding on pit road. Both Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson had a oil belt and a water belt come off mid-race. So they just had all sorts of issues and just were nowhere to be seen. Otherwise, Kevin Harvick had the right strategy. He and Rodney Childers, they stayed out on the final pit stop. They were the one of only two to stay out. I believe Eric Almirola was the other one, his teammate. Kevin went on to lead. Eric Almirola ended up dropping all the way down to 11th. And Harvick just cruised to victory, aside from a small bump or two from Hamlin on the final lap. So good stuff for Harvick. Um, so let's let's talk about Jimmy Johnson and his his kind of a poor day today or poor day this weekend. It dropped him off the playoff bubble. Correct. Uh, and he he went from I think fifteenth down to seventeenth. I think Clint, Clint Boyer's on the uh, on the last spot now. Um, I mean, could we? I mean, potentially Jimmy Johnson missing the playoffs. It, you it, know, this seven time seven time champion. That's kind of a he, kind of wild he, to speculate, huh? Well, he's the only driver to have made the playoffs since its inception in 2004, every single year. Uh, Ryan Newman, he's been running well lately. Clint Boyer, he was ninth in points about four or five races ago. He's now down to 16th. You have Suarez, who's running better. You have Paul Menard, who's running better. Ricky Stiles Jr., uh, so it's going to be a very interesting race, especially now that we have, I believe, six races left until the playoffs. So five races. Some, uh, some of them are Jimmy's best tracks, although he hasn't won yet at Watkins Glen uh, in his career. That being said, it's a matter of also Hendrick not having some of the bad luck that they've had in recent weeks. Uh, at Sonoma, Chase Elliott had the same issue that they had this past weekend with a water belt coming off. Uh, Jimmy Johnson on a restart in which several drivers accused Eric Almirola of brake checking the field uh, was pushed into the car in front of him, which knocked off the oil belt, the water belt and the power steering of his car sent him behind the wall for, or well on the pit road for several laps. It was just a mess for them. Then you also have, Eric, uh, Alex Bowman, who, like I said, had a drive shaft explode, causing enough damage that he had to go to a backup car. The backup car was the same car he drove at Phoenix in 2016 when he was substituting for Dale Jr., and he wrecked that in final practice. They have to go to a second backup car, which they didn't have, so they borrowed the one from Jimmy Johnson. So Jimmy Johnson or one of Jimmy Johnson's cars, actually had a winner's sticker on it for the first time in over a year and a half, except Jimmy wasn't driving it. 
<laughs> Poor Jimmy. So what, what? What is it? Is it two years since Jimmy's last win, or it's coming up on two years, isn't it? It's just past two years. Yeah, yeah. I I, I recall last year he came really close. He came really close to winning at the Roval. Yes. So I'm, I'm wondering if he's got that circled on his calendar this year. Although that's that's a playoff race, and he really kind of needs to sneak in a win before we get there. Either sneaking the win or work his way back in. He's only about 16 or 17 points behind the cutoff right now, which is true, less, true. Which is less than a full raise. So I think it might actually come down to the final laps at Indy as of right now, just because of how close it is. And yeah, Jimmy's performed well at Indy before. I believe he's won that one at least twice, if I'm not mistaken. Is that I correct? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you know, at the same time, it's just it's really kind of bizarre to see you know Jimmy struggle for this long. You know, you know we you know you thought Harvick had a drought here, but Jimmy's like, okay, hey. <laughs> so, but um, at, at the end of the day, let's uh, the, the the thing is anybody that's behind that bubble cutoff line could could jump up and win a race. You know, especially when you got you got some wild wild card races out there, like you know, uh, yeah, Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen, certainly, yeah. Um, Bristol. Or just know, could, get lucky with the weather, like Justin Haley, although he's not running for cut points. But right, right, yeah, yeah. But that's again, that that takes an opportunity for another guy to get a win. So you get you get a winner that's not going to be in the in the in the playoffs. So, but um, yeah, it's all it's going to be interesting. But I mean, at this early stage. I mean, is anybody that you're kind of leaning towards as a championship favorite? Because it's, it seems to me that the, the parody in NASCAR is it makes it really hard um, to really say, oh, here's the guy on a championship run, other than, say, like Martin Truex two years ago when he definitely had a championship caliber season. This year, the wealth has been spread pretty pretty well. I mean, Kyle's got four, Martin's got four, Brad's got three. Uh, you got a bunch of guys with two wins. If you, you had Harvick asked- up there. Go ahead. If you had asked me this a few weeks ago, I probably would have said Kyle Busch. If you had asked me this well, in early, much earlier into the season, I probably would have said Joey Logano. More recently, I would have said Martin Truex Jr. But with the inconsistency that some of them have had throughout the season, the driver who's actually been the most consistent, or drivers that have been the most consistent, have been Hamlin and Keselowski. So if I'm going to look at anyone as of right now, granted, they're not in the battle for the regular season championship. That's between Logano and Kyle Busch, only three points separate them, and they both have a 90-plus point lead over everybody else. That being said, the Hamlin and Kislowski have been up front consistently almost every single week. Uh, and that's uh, if you don't include the pit road penalties, which... NASCAR has actually adjusted the pit road rules going forward uh, regarding uncontrolled tires, which we'll get to in a little bit. So right now, especially with the way the playoffs have been in recent years, leaning towards either first-time champions or someone who hasn't won in this format, I'd have to go with either Hamlin or Kozlowski right now. That's interesting, but again, the the nature of these playoffs doesn't necessarily reward the consistency. It just rewards the you, you, you know coming coming to life at the right time, which is during the playoff races. 
you know. Right. But you but you could do like, oh, you know, Logano did a couple of years ago, where he he won like three straight playoff races, and then was eliminated in the next round. Just about anything can happen. Uh, anything, anything could happen. Yeah. So yeah, the champion doesn't reward consistency. It makes it really hard to pick a winner. But again, to my original point, I'm just I'm not seeing any any one driver really kind of outshine the rest. Now, now, Joey, do you have any thoughts on this here? I mean, I hate the championship in general, but okay. Uh, <laughs> well, now, Joey, I, you're I, you're a big Denny Hamlin fan, I know. So funny. Uh, I know. Yeah. No. So <laughs> I think that. Look, for, for what this championship's supposed to do, like, that's all great. And while I, I actually just hate the style of racing right now, I don't mind the championship. I just – I hate that it just feels like it's backwards from the status quo of what it should be. You know, you want more down – more sorry, more horsepower, less downforce um, to help kind of differentiate the, the men from the boys, so to speak, uh, to, to put the people who have the talent at the top – you know, you want your, you want you want the elite to be at the tip of the spear, as they say. And to me, this style of racing, you don't necessarily need to be elite to beat to, to win races, and and that's it's a lot different than the way it used to be. And and that's something that kind of is disheartening to me personally. But uh, you know, as far as it relates to this championship and the way things are going, if you're asking me who I like and and to win this thing or, or to get on a run. I mean, I think you've you've either got to look at Kyle Busch or you've got to look at at um, probably Kozlowski at this stage. I, I you know mostly because it is more about getting hot at the right time, and I feel like Penske is just a, a fraction of a hair better in the Ford camp than maybe the Haas cars um, than than SHR. But uh, to me, you're looking at, at either Kyle Busch or you're looking at at probably somebody like Kozlowski. Uh, I would I would say Logano. But history tells me that you don't have back-to-back winners in the championship. So, you know, I can't exactly go into that into that favor knowing that he's the defending champion. So, good um, point. Good point. Yeah. So I'd probably go that route. All right. So Seth, let's uh, let's go back to your previous comment about the new pit road uh, rules that are going to be coming into place. Will these be effective at, at the next race weekend? Uh, one will be effective starting this weekend. The other will be effective starting Watkins Glen. Okay, now where are we where are we racing this weekend coming up? Pocono. That's correct. Yes, Pocono. Okay, so so let's go ahead and uh, uh, go over those new rules. So uncontrolled tire penalties have been adjusted. They no longer are using the uh, within an arm's reach guideline, and the reason why they're doing that is there have been a lot of ball and strike calls, most of which this season maybe should not have been called. To be quite honest. In total, uncontrolled tire penalties so far this season in the Cup Series alone, there have been 46 penalties, of which, based on the little research I've done so far, out of 20 of them, only once has the tire actually left the pit box. Only one other time has the tire actually rolled back across the pit box towards pit lane. And only once has the tire actually gone onto pit road itself. So out of 20, only three caused any sort of safety issue. Okay, so is the general consensus that perhaps it's not as big a safety issue as we thought? 
or is it more an effect of that it's kind of hard to police? We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we, you know, when we discussed yeah, there, there once was a time when there was a NASCAR official in every pit box. Now there's like one for every three. So is it is it just harder to police or or is it just we're just giving the teams a little leeway because we took one over to wall crew member away? It's a little bit of both. The main reason is it it wasn't hard to police. It was hard to explain the judgment calls as to why someone did get a penalty. Meanwhile, a couple of pit stalls down, somebody else who did the same exact thing didn't get a penalty. So now it's if the tire rolls away, depending on the way it rolls away, does it cause a safety issue? Is it going to A, cause another crew member, either in your team or another team, to fall as they run around the car with the pit equipment? Is it going to roll onto pit road? Or is it being thrown or tossed in some fashion? Those would be an automatic pass-through penalty. Or if it's under yellow, tail end of the longest line. Okay, so now what's the what's the rule going in effect at Watkins Glen then? Starting at Watkins Glen, uh, teams must change the tires on the outside of the car first if they're doing a four-tire stop. Okay, and the reason for this is? Because it's another safety issue in which there are a handful of teams that have gotten creative with their pit, uh, essentially pit choreography, changing the inside tires first, then the outside tires, risking the pit crew members getting hit by another car that's leaving the box behind it or entering the box ahead of it. Okay, so essentially we're going to make sure that the everyone is closer to the pit wall when the car exits. Correct. Yeah, that, that, that in my mind, that makes a lot of sense. And that starts at Watkins Glen because it's the only track uh, – I want to say it's the only track in which – at least for the Cup Series in which they're pitting in the opposite direction because the track is essentially the layout or the direction of the cars is – Typically, the opposite of the traditional NASCAR track. Yes, it goes, it goes clockwise rather yes. than anti-clockwise. Yeah, it does. Doesn't Sonoma go anti-clockwise, or is they? No. So the Glen's the only one. Okay. The Glen is the only one in the Cup Series. I want to say, for the trucks, they do that at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. I know the Xfinity Series does that at Watkins Glen, and I can't remember if it, I want to say it's the same at Road America as well. Yes, Road America is, yeah, opposite direction. You're correct. Okay, so uh, what else we got going on? There was Xfinity. Wait, were the trucks in action? or The trucks had off, uh, the weekend off. The Xfinity Series was in action. And once again, it was the Christopher Bell show. Uh, out of 200 laps, he led 186. Uh, aside from that, the only major incident in the Xfinity Series was a... Uh, Running between Harrison Burton, who's regularly in the Truck Series, and Paul Menard, who's regularly in the Cup Series. Uh, Harrison was making his third start for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, he and Paul were running very hard, battling for position in the first stage. Nothing happened then. It, 
nothing happened until the final stage with about 30 laps to go. Paul took offense to the way Harrison passed him on the restart and dumped Harrison in turn one, admitting so on the radio. Uh, Harrison confronted Paul on pit road afterwards. It wasn't much of a shouting match as much as it was Harrison defending himself and pointing out to Paul if he felt like he was run overly aggressive. Why was there no marks on Paul's car compared to Harrison's? Interesting. Interesting. So now back to Christopher Bell. Um, here's a guy that, that there was a little talk of, of them getting him, him into cup this year. That didn't play out. There's not really a spot for him right now. But but what's the, what's the possibility of him moving up to cup in 2020? Because I, I really feel like the guy is ready. Well, if Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing are going to try as hard as they claim that they are trying to keep him in their fold, he is either going to end up replacing Eric Jones or he's either going to replace Matty Bandetto at Levine Family Racing for a year or he would be in a second Levine Family Racing car, which currently doesn't exist. Right, and they would it'd be it would be an unchartered car if it did exist, unless they they pick up a charter from somebody correct from someone else. Which there are a handful of teams that they could probably get one from, whether it's maybe Jay Robinson's Premium Motorsports or maybe say Spire Motorsports or even uh, Rick Ware Racing, because the three of them don't have a full time driver; they have a regular rotating cast of drivers. So they wouldn't be able to compete for the drivers' championship anyway. All right, so we are kind of running up against our time limit. So before we do that, let's turn our attention to Pocono, which is one of my favorite racetracks on the NASCAR schedule. I just love the three different turns and the what's turn four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pocono's always been one of my favorite, one of the first tracks I visited as, as a kid, and I just love the layout of the place. So, uh, so Seth, who do you who do you kind of like for Pocono? Honestly, from everybody I've been talking to, uh, Kyle Larson. Okay, certainly. Yeah, I mean, that, that, there's a guy that needs a win right there. You know, so, Joey, you've got any thoughts on the Pocono race? Um, probably Ryan Blaney. Okay, and I'm going to I'm gonna go with Denny Hamlin. Um, he's, he's really performed well at Pocono uh, in the past. He's, you know, he... Came up a little short in New Hampshire, but, uh, you know, like Seth said, the guy's been really consistent. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, none of us are real Denny Hamlin fans, but uh, I just feel like he could he could put on a good show at Pocono. So, and the Formula One will be in Germany this weekend. So, would you care to make a pick for Germany, Joey? I mean... Should there be anybody else probably than Lewis Hamilton at this rate? I mean, I mean if, you get, if you get to pick first, pick Hamilton. Why not? <laughs> I, I will unfortunately pick Lewis Hamilton uh, at this rate. You realize that there is still a possibility that he could win 18 races this year? Yes. Yes, there that's, is. That's so gross. Like, I, know, I, I, love, I love Formula One, but this season is <laughs> gross, man. Like, this is brutal. Like, 
Yeah, early in the season, well, I, I thought that, you know, Valtteri was going to be able to take a fight to him with them, you know, as it wears on, it's like Lewis week after week after week. I mean, all you, you have know. to do is all you have to do is let them pit Valtteri first, disobey team orders and not come in whenever you have a scheduled stop. Right. You could do that. You could do that. So I, I hear that. I hear going against team orders, you know, can win your races in Formula One, especially at your home Grand Prix. Yep. <laughs> so, all right. So, Seth. Well, speaking of home Grand Prix, uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Vettel. I think he may uh, finally get that monkey off his back for once this season. I don't know. I've, Vettel doesn't want to remember last year's German Grand Prix for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, Vettel's been a train wreck lately. The dude, I'm like, I don't know, but I, you know what? I, I, I kind of think like the Ferraris will be good in um, in Germany. Uh, the Mercedes will probably be better. But uh, let me just go out on the limb and say Charles Leclerc uh, takes his first win. I mean, he's come close a couple times. So wouldn't um, that be insulting? Yes. I actually especially especially if he disobeys team orders to win, that would be even better. Or if make him win. I I think when you look at the style of track, though, like with with the with the German Grand Prix, I actually think that if it doesn't favor a Mercedes, I actually do think that it it favors a guy like Verstappen. So yeah, true, true. Yeah, the Red Bulls are are really good handling cars. So all right, well. We are out of time, so Joey, thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully, uh, you'll be back on again soon. Um, it's been good talking to you, Seth. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker, and I want to thank all you folks that listen to us week after week. Again, this is Frank Sandorowski at Drafting the Circuits. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 